Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Pink Panther Punk from 1981. That's a clip from the 1947 Mary Melodies cartoon Tweety Pie. This would be the first time that Sylvester and Tweety would appear on screen together and the short would end up winning the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. That win broke Tom and Jerry's streak of four consecutive wins. Tweety Pie was directed by Isidore Frizz Freeling. Frizz Freeling was an animator, cartoonist, director, producer, and composer known for his work at Warner Brothers cartoons. During his time at Warner Brothers, Freeling often worked with layout artist Holly Pratt. He also introduced or redesigned a number of Warner characters. In addition to Sylvester and Tweety, there was also Yosemite Sam in 1945 and Speedy Gonzales in 1955. In 1962, Frayling left Warner Brothers taking a job at Hanna-Barbera as story supervisor on their first feature film, Hey There, It's Yogi Bear. Just seven months after leaving, the Warner studio closed. Frayling ended up renting the same space from Warner's to create cartoons with his former Warner Brothers boss, producer David H. DePatty. Together, they started DePatty Frayling Enterprises, better known on screen as DFE Films. In the same year that DFE started, Something big came their way. Here, Frayling talks to Reg Hart's Cineforum in 1980. One day, uh, Blake Edwards, who was uh, working on a thing called The Great Race on the Warner Lot, said he just finished a picture. He shot the picture, I think, in Italy uh, called The Pink Panther. Yeah. And he wanted to know if we could design a title for that. He wanted an animated character. So uh, I read the script and uh, saw some of the film, and the first scene of the film was something about a jewel. The jewel itself was called The Pink Panther, wasn't it? Yeah. And this was a jewel robbery film. A jewel robbery with David Niven. And uh, and he said, uh, this jewel uh, has a flaw in it. It was a pink flaw. He says it looks a little bit like an animal, like a pink panther or something. That was all there was tied into the show at all. The reason Blake called it the Pink Panther for some reason. So he says, can you come up with a title for it? Anyhow, naturally, the word Pink Panther was a key word to doing a character called the Pink Panther. So I designed a character and a title, and I worked with two or three fellows there, and I took it to Blake, and he loved it. Blake Edwards' Pink Panther film was a hit. It had originally been intended to be a starring vehicle for David Niven, who received the top billing but it was Peter Sellers as Inspector Jacques Clouseau that stole the show and became the main character for the sequels. But perhaps stealing the show even more than Sellers was the DFE animated opening title sequence. The animation was combined with a memorable score by Henry Mancini. Thank you. 
That saxophone lead was played by Plaz Johnson, who Mancini supposedly had in mind when he wrote the theme. In 2007, Johnson talked to the Chicago Tribune about the recording session. He said, quote, We only did two takes, I think. When we finished, everyone applauded, even the string players. And that's saying something. They never applaud for anything. End quote. Johnson would also go on to play the saxophone in the theme song for the ABC sitcom The Odd Couple. Mancini's Pink Panther score is not to be undersold. The soundtrack album was released on RCA Victor in 1964. In 2001, the soundtrack was given a Grammy Hall of Fame award. In 2005, the score was ranked number 20 on AFI's 100 Years of Film Scores. The Pink Panther theme was even released as a single in the U.S., and it reached the top 10 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart and won three Grammy Awards. The opening received so much attention that a large amount of the picture's gross is believed to have been generated from that alone. Because of this, United Artists executives decided to adapt the title sequence into a series of theatrical Pink Panther animated shorts. The first short... 1964's The Pink Fink went on to win the Academy Award for Animated Short Film. This was the first time a studio's first work won an Oscar. And to this date, that's still the case. A total of 124 six-minute cartoons were produced between 1964 and 1978. 92 of the shorts were released theatrically. On September 6, 1969, The Pink Panther Show started airing Saturday mornings on NBC. The first 62 theatrical shorts would appear on the series, as well as several new sister series, including The Ant and the Aardvark, Hootclute, The Tijuana Toads, and Mr. Jaw. The Pink Panther show lasted for over a decade, but under several different names. There was also the new Pink Panther show, The Pink Panther and Friends. It's the all-new Pink Panther Laugh-and-a-Half-Hour-and-a-Half show introducing Mr. Jaw. That rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Think Pink Panther? And then it came back to the name The New Pink Panther Show for its final season in 1978 when it was picked up by ABC. That season featured 32 brand new Pink Panther shorts, which would also go on to be released theatrically. In the last years of the short's theatrical run, DFE produced a series of primetime Pink Panther specials for ABC. A Pink Christmas in 1978, and a Limpinks in 1980. In 1981... Frailing and DePatty sold DFE films to Marvel Comics. Frizz Frailing ended up returning to Warner Brothers Animation, which had recently been reopened. DePatty then became the head of Marvel Productions, as DFE was renamed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Pink at First Sight was the first Pink Panther animation that was produced by Marvel, airing on Valentine's Day in 1981. It would also be David DePatty's first and only solo-produced animation effort. Also in 1981, there would be another Pink Panther release. A very different one. And to get to that, I'm going to do something I try to never do on this show. Speculate. There isn't a ton of information out there available on this, so I'm going to go with my gut here, for better or for worse. Let's circle back to 1980. If you're a regular listener to this show, you might remember episode 9. Chipmunk Punk was a big surprise hit in 1980. The album went gold. It led to the resurgence of Alvin and the Chipmunks, a new animated series, more albums, toys, even movies. And the music business has a history of trying to copy successful things. The Pink Panther was in a bit of a transitional period, and I can't help but think that they tried to capitalize on the success of Chipmunk Punk. So in 1981, Pink Panther Punk was released on Kid Stuff Records. Does your dig that? Much like Chipmunk Punk, Pink Panther Punk doesn't seem to contain any punk. They do use the word punk more on this album, if that counts for anything. And it's just kind of thrown into Mancini's Pink Panther theme to kick off the album. This version does take a turn and become a little more of a rock song. But is that punk? Nah. After the theme, we get a talking segment where we meet a DJ named Dr. K. Greetings, all you cats and kitties. This is your swinging DJ, Dr. K, welcoming you to American Top 50. Now stand back, because I got with me today that ultra-hip combo, the Pink Punks, and their fantastic new drummer, that cat of cats, the Pink Panther. Hey, what's happening? He then asks the band to tell the people where they learned how to play like they do, to which they say they'll tell everyone where they went to school which immediately then goes into Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall. 
The album is interrupted by an announcement from Inspector Clouseau. He tells the listener that if you see the Pink Panther to contact him immediately and do not attempt to capture him yourself. This leads to Clouseau and some background singers doing Panther on the Prowl. You may look like a catchable panther, but it's quite a non-matchable panther. One of the many strange things about this album is that at this point in his history, the Pink Panther had largely been a silent character. He'd only spoken in two of the theatrical shorts ever, and they were both in 1965. He spoke one line in Sink Pink, and then he spoke again in Pink Ice. Both times, his voice was provided by impressionist and comedian Rich Little. By any chance, have you seen any gophers with diamonds in? On Pink Panther Punk, after a short segment with a Barbara Walters parody, seriously, he sings. And much like Chipmunk Punk, he sings a song by the very not-punk, Billy Joel. How about a pair of pink sidewinders and a bright orange pair of pants? Well, you should really be a bull promo, baby, if you just give it half a chance. Don't waste your money on a new set of speakers You get more mileage from an old pair of sneakers Next phase, new wave, dance craze Anyways, it's still rock and roll to me If you're not convinced that this is a punk record yet, we'll flip over to side B, and they're going to let you know. It's lit, it's tricky. And to drive that punk message home, they follow it up with a cover of a song written by Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald, What a Fool Believes, a song made famous by the Doobie Brothers. He's watching These songs are said to be performed by the Pink Punks, featuring the Pink Panther on drums. Yet, the album cover just shows the Pink Panther playing all of the instruments. I don't think any artwork exists showing what the rest of the Pink Punks looked like. Official album credits are also extremely hard to come by. No musicians are credited anywhere in the album, and I can't find any on the internet either. The only credit that's on the album is that it was produced by John Braden. 
During the 70s and 80s, John Braden created narrative stories and songs to be albums for Atari video games like Asteroid and Missile Command. He also produced nine different gold records with Kid Stuff Records. While there, he produced albums for Masters of the Universe, My Little Pony, Barbie, and more. Back in 1969, Braden had even released his own self-titled album on A&M Records. As the album is winding down, Inspector Clouseau hasn't gotten any leads on finding the Pink Panther, so he implores you to call him. Once again, taking a page out of the Chipmunk Punk book, covering Call Me by Blondie. Call me on the line. Call me, call me any, any time. Call me, s'il vous plaît. You can call me any day or night. Call me. To close out the album, we get another skit. This time we hear the Pink Punks backstage at the Woodchuck Festival in Moose Breath, Montana. The band is about to go on stage, but realize they haven't seen their drummer, the Pink Panther. It's here that we learn these band members are named Itchy and Scratchy. This does predate The Simpsons by nearly a decade, though. But just in time for their performance, they spot overhead a Pink Panther copter, which then lands right on stage and they close the album out with yet another very not-punk song. When he walked into the door, he looked like any other punk. But listen to him now, baby, who would have thought he was a fucking Punk didn't really have the impact that Chipmunk Punk did. But the Pink Panther did live on for more films throughout the 80s and the 90s. A new animated series even popped up in 1993, now with a full-time speaking panther voiced by Matt Frewer, better known as Max Headroom. This is my, my Max Headroom. The films even got a reboot in 2006 with Steve Martin taking over the Inspector Clouseau role. At the time of this recording, there's supposedly another reboot in development, from director David Silverman. Not bad. Nearly 60 years of the Pink Panther. One of the most iconic cartoon characters of all time. And it all spawned from a short animated opening title sequence by Frizz Frailing. In 2015, the film Walt Before Mickey was released. It was about the early years of Walt Disney. Actor Taylor Gray portrayed Frizz Frailing in the film. Taylor Gray is best known as the voice of Ezra Bridger in the Star Wars Rebels animated series. A series that also featured a recurring character, Senator in Exile, Gaul Travis. Travis was voiced by an actor that's better known from a different sci-fi franchise, Star Trek. And he also released an album of his own in 1991. 
I'm talking about Brent Spiner. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums.